Good morning. We're going to talk about James today. I love James. He's so blunt and so straightforward. And it's almost, it's almost impossible to not get what he has to say to us. So I would be willing to bet money, not that I bet money as a normal habit, but I would be willing to bet money that every single person here could tell us a story about another person who is a hypocrite. Uh, we, we've all met these people who give the impression that they're a good Christian, and yet they cut you to pieces, they cheat you or go back on your word or their word, uh, they treat you like dirt in some way, and we can all spot phoniness a mile away. But there's one person, there's one person that can be inconsistent, one person that can be inconsistent and even hypocritical, and you just don't see it at all. Anybody know who that person is? Yeah, me, yourself, yeah. You can be very easily deceived about your own walk with God, or as C.S. Lewis, Lewis so eloquently put it, you can spend an hour in introspection and not see those flaws in yourself that are perfectly obvious to anyone else who tries to live with you. And this problem is so common that James make it, makes it one of the major themes of his book. He talks about the man who deceives his own heart. In verse 26, that's, that's the way the NIV puts it. He deceives his own heart. So it's very possible to embrace all the outward things that go with being a Christian, but not be living out the very things that God considers most important in your daily life. And James, again, in his bluntness, says this kind of religion is worthless. There is something unreal about it. He says, your claim to walk with God is useless if you do not control your tongue, if you do not show compassion to others in their distress, if you do not keep yourself clean from the pollution of the world. Now, James is addressing brothers here, so I take it that he is saying this self-deception can be a problem even among those who are genuinely saved people. In other words, any of us can slide into a way of living where we look spiritual, sound spiritual, where we do the outward things that spiritual people do, but are not doing the things that matter to God. So in this passage, James tells us three things that God is looking for from you. He is looking for you to bridle your tongue. He is looking for you to show mercy to those in distress. He is looking for you to keep yourself uncontaminated by the world around you. And he says, this is pure, these three things, doing these three things, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. The ESV says, 
uh, before God, but I, I like the NASV and other versions that say in the sight of God. Because everything we say, everything we do, everything we are is in the sight of God. It is seen by God. And when he sees these three things, bridling your tongue, showing mercy to those in distress, keeping yourself unstained by the world, God considers that true religion. I'm afraid that many people, and I, have, I've, I deal with this myself, but I'm afraid that many people have, have a grandiose idea of what serving God looks like. That serving God is only those big things. It's going halfway around the world or doing some spectacular thing, making a big splash, getting written up in Charisma magazine, having lots of people know who you are, kind of becoming famous spiritually. And praise God for people who do that. Praise God for people who, that God raises up. But James' emphasis is that true religion is things like being careful how you talk, being clean and holy in your daily living, and being compassionate to the people that you meet every day who are in distress or need. Now, it's not that these things save you. And if you've been at Real Life Church, I mean, you know that we are not saved by works. We are saved by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are born then, born of the Spirit. It is, all, it is a work of God. But these things that James talks to us about are very important for saved people to hear. Because this is what you are saved for. This is, these are the things that God saved you for in order to serve Him and to bring glory to His name. And these are all things that you do. It's interesting, you know, James is a man of action. You bridle your tongue. You visit the widow and orphan. You keep yourself unstained by the world. As he said just in the verse just before this, you are to be a doer of the word, and you will be blessed in your doing. So all throughout this book, James moves us away from a theoretical religion. He moves us away from a religion of theories about God or doctrinal debates that leave our hearts and lives untouched. He is telling us how important doing is. So this morning, we're simply going to take these three things uh, one at a time. First, true religion is to bridle your tongue. Or NIV says to keep a tight rein on your tongue. And James begins this, if anyone considers himself religious. So I think we need to pause just a minute before we talk about the tongue and see what what does he mean by this. If anyone considers himself religious. Being religious means someone who claims to fear and worship God. It means keeping certain duties toward God. We might put it like this, if anyone considers himself a good Christian, or if anyone thinks he is spiritual, and James goes on, yet he does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In other words, don't kid yourself. If your, if your religion does not impact the way you talk, there is a huge disconnect 
There is, this is a wake-up call. There is a huge problem. It's, it's possible that you may not even be saved, but certainly you are not right with God or living in a way that pleases God if your tongue is not being bridled and brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. Your tongue can be like a wild horse. It needs to be bridled or reined. True worship of God is to bring your tongue into submission to God. God loves to hear us sing praises, but you may show more worship by refraining from slandering someone or by not complaining about something. A.W. Tozier said, the whole life must worship. That's a statement that's always stayed with me. The whole life must worship. So you see, we don't worship. I mean, I loved our worship this morning. I, I, I love that song, Befriended. Man, that is, that is my favorite. Befriended by the King of Kings, by the friend above all friends, astounded, astounded through gospel beckoned me. I mean, just, I love that. I worship, worship that. I, 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 I just got lost in it. But if I, if I enjoy that, I worship God in that, but I, I don't bridle my tongue and I come up and say something horrible or mean or cruel to you or I swear or do something, say some foul language or share a foul joke. I mean, my, my worship is meaningless. Worship is submitting your whole life to God. So you show your submission to God, you show that you honor God, you show that you think much of God by carefully controlling your tongue. Or as somebody else put it, the true test of worship is not your ability to speak, but your ability to not speak. With your tongue, you can, you can speak well of others, you can praise and thank God, you can encourage other people. Your words are the instruments by which you show kindness Love, mercy, and truth. I mean, what your tongue can do so much good. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Certainly we do show love by our actions. But, you know, if if somebody brought me a really good meal just to bless me, and then they went and told somebody else at church that they thought I was a worthless bum as a pastor, I would not care one bit about that good meal. Words matter. Words can be like the sharp thrust of a sword, as it says in Proverbs. Words can be like a shot from a rifle that just puts a hole right through you. Your tongue can be used for slander, for scoffing, for ridicule, for sarcasm, for expressing disgust, for expressing impatience, for profanity, for coarse joking. And if you do not bridle your tongue in these areas... James says, your religion is worthless. It's making no impact on you, and it's of not of value or of no value to God. I've shared this story before, but I think it's very appropriate for this passage. Uh, a, few, a couple of years ago by now, I went into an auto body shop here in town to have some body work done on one of my cars. And as I, as I sat in the lobby waiting, I heard the salesman uh, that I was going to meet with. I heard him talking on the phone to someone in his office. I was out in the lobby, and he was using 
the most foul language, using the, the worst and the most four-letter words you can imagine. I was just kind of shocked. And then another customer who was ahead of me walked into his office, and this man who was using such filthy, ungodly language said, Oh, hi, hey, I remember you from small group at church. And I just about fell off my chair. James would say that man's religion is worthless, or he is deceived. He has deceived himself. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the real issue is to get your heart right. And that starts with being born of God. It involves coming to, turning to Jesus, coming to Jesus, repenting of your sins, putting your faith in Christ to save you, being born of his spirit, letting the spirit of God dwell in you. And then you begin a life of Controlling your tongue each day, bringing it under submission or in submission to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow out from you in every way, including and especially through your words. Then you start to speak to one another in kindness and respect and love. Praise and thanksgiving replace bad attitudes and grumbling. As Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, the building, for, the, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so it's not only James that addresses this. The Apostle Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So if you want to know one way that you can worship and serve and love and honor God, Today, this week, is to not let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth. All right, number two, true religion is to show compassion for those who are in trouble or in distress. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. So the worship that God accepts as pure and faultless is to visit orphans and widows, to show mercy to the most helpless, to those who are in distress or in trouble. Bob Diffenbaugh said, the real test of religion is how one who is strong deals with those who are weak. So that's a question for us. How do you treat those who are weaker? How do you treat those who are weaker? Do you take into consideration their trouble, their distress, their weakness, their need? Or do you just brush them off, not wanting to be bothered or troubled? James tells us that mercy that lacks religion is, is a self-deception, just like a religion that doesn't bridle the tongue. You know, Psalm 68.5 says, God is a father to the fatherless a defender of the widows. God sets the lonely in families. So all through the scriptures, we see that God is especially interested in the helpless, the defenseless, in those who feel left out, in those who are left out, in the lonely, in the brokenhearted. This is what God is like. And if we are truly his children, we will be like that too. We will take an interest in these people. And I praise God for so many in this church that have done so much, for, to sh- especially in this area of, of taking care of unwanted 
children, uh, embracing uh, foster in foster care and adopting. Uh, thank God that is that is true religion. Now this statement by James uh, is not to be limited to widows and orphans, but it applies to, to elderly, to handicapped, to the discouraged, uh, to any who are in trouble or distress. I mean that just that uh, this just ought to be our 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 way of our way of living, our way of approaching life whether we're at the grocery store or wherever we are walking down the street, that, 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 that our, our heart is attuned to the needy and to those who are in distress. And the word visit implies more than just a visit. Uh, it means to go to them, to be involved with them, to look out for them, to take care of them, to do whatever you can do to alleviate the need, the distress. Uh, the NIV says to look after the orphans and widows. So this means that you and I need to reach out beyond our own family, maybe beyond our own circle of people that we're comfortable, comfortable with. We need to reach out beyond our own kind of people. I have, seen, I have seen people who would make any sacrifice for their own families, but would not lift a finger for anyone outside their own family circle. And James is pushing us beyond ourselves. Uh, there is that kind of thinking. Uh, you've heard the saying, bless us for and no more. I mean, that it's kind of humorous, but you know, so, sometimes our thinking gets that, that enclosed just about around our own. I remember listening to a message. Uh, I was on the, driving down the street sometime. I uh, don't listen to a lot of Charles Stanley, but I happened to hear a message to, that uh, he was giving. And it was on love. It was a message on love. And I'll never forget one very simple statement. He said, do you love anyone outside your own family? It's a pretty good challenge. It is right and godly for you to care for your own. In fact, you must care for your own. But James says, true religion will move you beyond your own self to the widows and orphans and those who are in trouble and in distress. But there is another kind of error that you can fall into. You can show mercy to the down and out, to the lonely waitress or the handicapped person, to that person who needs your help. You can be deeply moved to go to the person going through the divorce or a depression, a, to a state of depression, but you are not merciful and compassionate to your own husband or wife. Or you may ignore their emotional needs or their need for companionship or communication. Or for young people, how about showing mercy to your sister or to your brother? It can't can't just be something that we do out there. It has to be something that we do in here, amongst ourselves, and out there. I think James would say true religion is show, shows mercy to all. That person you work with, the checkout person at the store, that person you hire to do a fix-up job around your house, to the ordinary people in your ordinary life, but especially to those who are in any kind of trouble or distress. That's, what, that's the kind of God we serve. God is near to the brokenhearted. He that's his heart. 
and that is to be our heart as well. So if we're going to have a genuine religion, if we're not going to deceive ourselves about our service and worship to God, we're going we're going to, to give ourselves, we're going to find ways to give ourselves away to those who are in distress or need. Number three, true religion is to keep yourself unstained by the world. NIV, keep yourself unpolluted. RSV, unstained. King James Version, unspotted. I kind of I like the King James Version here, unspotted by the world. You know, we live in a polluted environment. We really do. I, I hope I hope if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, I hope you have some, well, no, no not some sense. I hope you have a deep awareness of the, uh, the corruption and the pollution in the environment in which we live. James is talking about the culture, the values, the lifestyles, the philosophy of the world around you that is opposed to God. James is saying, don't let the world's culture value, and philosophy infiltrate your heart. Don't let the world around you stain your soul. Virtually everything in our culture is corrupted with sin. You just just think about it. And sometimes it grieves me so much. Music, movies, art, dancing, the world of business and politics and academics... All of them are corrupted by the world. And, you know, take, for example, music. And music is a beautiful thing. You, know, you, 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 you listen to some of these people sing on some, some of these TV programs and you're amazed at how they can sing. The voices that God has given them. Just incredible. And music and the, sa- the sound of music and melody is just such, such a blessing, such a good thing in, in this life. And yet the music industry and music and music lyrics are so corrupted by this world that you have to be careful to keep yourself unstained by the world. I mean, you know, if, if, you, if you hear a song, uh, I challenge you to do a lyric check on it. I mean, when you check some of the lyrics of what is being sung, it will uh, curl your hair, I, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it will, it will shock you. If you really pay attention to what the world is saying in its, in its music. And it's the same with movies, with art, dancing. You know, dancing should be an innocent, beautiful, wonderful part of life. I really believe that. You know, David danced before the Lord. And yet so much of dancing has been corrupted by, uh, by sensuality and uh, being seductive and using it for all, for all the wrong purposes. But again, just the world, the world is is at work in all these areas of our culture, and you have to be careful not to let yourself be stained by the world. Not that any of these things that I just mentioned are bad in themselves, but the world infiltrates every area of life with its wickedness, and there is a pressure for you to conform, to stain yourself. And I'm going to camp on this a little bit this morning because I think it's, it's an area that we really need to hear about. And you know, I'm not saying that we should leave the world. I'm not saying that we should disengage from music and uh, business and politics and academics. 
Uh, in fact, Jesus prayed, I do not ask, in his, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We are in the world, but not of the world. Or as James says, to keep yourself from the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. For example, do not be naive about what you are seeing on television. Do not be naive about the talk shows, the counseling shows, the psychology shows, the shows that tell you how to solve your problems, how to be happy, how to be successful, how to solve your emotional problems, your marriage problems, but the answer has nothing to do with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beware of that. Do not be naive about the world's messages. You know, I mentioned one of the things I mentioned that can be corrupted is is business. And um, I've I've always loved something that C.S. Lewis wrote in Screw Tape Letters. And if you don't know the background of the book, very briefly, this it's like it's a, it's a, what would you call it, an allegory? But the senior devil tells the junior devil, Wormwood, he said, if, and he's talking about someone that he's working on, trying to pull him into the world. He says, if the middle years prove prosperous, our position is, is even stronger. In other words, Satan's position, the demon's position is even stronger. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. His increasing reputation, his widening circle of acquaintances, his sense of importance, the growing pressure of absorbing and agreeable work build up in him a sense of being really at home on earth, which is just what we want. Nothing wrong with business. Nothing wrong with prospering. God prospers the work of our hands. I I believe that. But the world will want to take that and cause your very prosperity to knit your heart to this world. And I love that line. He feels that he is finding his place in the world while the world is really finding its place in him. Beware. That's the problem, is the world finding its place in you. Kelly Willard, uh, bless her heart, wrote a song. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of her, but she wrote a song called Lover of the World. And I, I commend her. It's, re, it's, re, it's really bold. If any of you know of Kelly Willard, she's written some really good music. This is old stuff, though. It's not, you know, it's not, not up to date. But she wrote a song called Lover of the World. And uh, probably some of the names you won't get, but you'll get the message. And, but this, here's the words. Did you go to Kenny's concert? Can you dig my brand new car? Have you been to Jason's lately? And I don't know what Jason's is, but some kind of nightclub. Have you been to Jason's lately? Don't you want to meet a star? Have you seen the hottest movie? What's your favorite top ten song? Well, it seems that's all a mirror. It looks to me like something's wrong. Lover of the world... You are the enemy of God. Whatever you treasure will someday rule your heart. Pretty bold song, kind of like James. Is there anything wrong inherently with going to a secular concert? No. 
or buying a new car? No, I hope many of you get new cars at some point. Or is there anything wrong with liking a secular song on the radio? No. But when you start to value those things like the world values those things, when you start to believe what the world tells you is cool, you're in danger of being seduced by the world. You're in danger of being spotted or stained. You know, in, even in church, I mean, we could, I could even add the world is infiltrating the church. It's become more and more acceptable for pastors to tell coarse jokes and use semi-vulgar language and sexual innuendo from, sexual innuendo from the pulpit. That is being stained by the world. I heard a Christian radio personality yesterday, and I didn't plan to put this in the message, but just yesterday I heard a Christian radio personality say, I love Jesus and I also curse. Some people think a Christian, and this is almost a direct quote, the best I could remember. Some people think a Christian should not say the words that I say, but that's because they don't understand that it is a relationship, not a religion. I have no idea how he got the idea that a relationship with Jesus Christ gives him permission to use profanity. He surely has never read James. James would tell him that he has deceived himself. The word unspotted, which again is from the King James Version, means that you are careful to, to not let even a little spot get on you. Instead of and, and there's so much of this attitude that I just described, where okay, I've, I, me and Jesus are, are good buddies, and uh, I've got a relationship with Jesus, so it doesn't really matter um, if if I talk like I shouldn't talk. Basically, no, you're supposed. James would tell you to be unspotted, unspotted, careful to not even. Let a little spot get on you. You know, one of the things that I'm meticulous about is uh, the walls in our house. I keep, I, I keep our walls painted. You know, I keep, keep them touched up. The grandkids there on Thursday. A lot of times on Friday, I'm out with the touch-up paint. And one thing I, I do is I, I hate to get paint on my clothes. And there's just, there's this thing, I never, I mean, if I went home today to paint, I would just wear what I'm wearing. I just, I, I have this, I don't know if it's probably a bad habit, but I, I normally paint in, in my, my good clothes. So I'm very careful with my brushes, very careful how much paint I put on them. And I'm really careful to keep myself unspotted. Because even just one glob of paint, like on a sweater or a pair of jeans like this, and it ruins them, you, you just, you just can't get it out. And so James would say, every day you're walking through the world and things a whole lot worse than a glob of paint can get on you. And so be diligent. I mean, maybe even be fanatical about being clean and unspotted. Now, when we use the word world, there, there can be some confusion so what, in the, what, what is the world that we are to keep ourselves from being stained by? I've, I've already explained as, as best I can what I, what I understand it to be. 
But some people might say, well, God created the world and he said it was good. Uh, Isn't there much good that is in the world? So what are we talking about when we talk about the world? Uh, John MacArthur said, what do you mean by the world? Do you mean, or being worldly? Do you mean they drive on the freeway? No. Do you mean that they stay in a hotel? No. Do you mean that they go out to eat at a restaurant? Do you mean that they buy their clothes at a department store? What do you mean by the world or being worldly? I I mean, do they buy into the world's philosophy? Do they buy into its culture so that it impacts their life and governs their behavior? In other words, we're not to go into monasteries or build a, a remote hut somewhere or we won't see a newspaper or a TV. Uh, it doesn't mean that we are to wear drab, colorless clothes or that are hundred, from hundreds of years ago. It doesn't mean we're to quit our jobs or to sell our cars or to live off the land. It means that as we live in the world, we do not let the world's, the values and the morals and the pollution of the world get into our hearts. The Bible is clear that you cannot keep yourself unstained by the world by simply making an outward list of rules. In fact, Paul said those who live by rules such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, in order to escape the world are actually living by the very principles of the world. In other words, he says those are, that's worldly thinking to think that you can keep out the world by, by, that, by rules such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So you, so you can't you can't just say people that have a, a certain posi- uh, possession are worldly, or those who don't or are not, or people who go to certain events are worldly and those who don't are not. It, it just doesn't work that way. It is a matter of being stained in your heart and your values and in the things that you love. Watchman Nee wrote an excellent book called Love Not the World. And I don't know if, if, if any of you want to dig into this deeper, highly recommend it. Uh, Love Not the World by Watchman Nee. He points out the fact that it would be so much easier if God had set limits or if God had said, and this is a quote, stay within the bounds of that line and we will be safe. Cross it and grave danger threatens. It would be easier if God said it, put it that way. He doesn't. But where does it lie? We have to eat and drink, to marry, to bring up children, to trade and to work. How do we do that and remain uncontaminated? How do we mingle freely with the men and women whom God so loved as to give his son for them and still keep ourselves unspotted from the world? If our Lord had limited buying and selling to so much a month, how simple that would be. All who spent more than a certain amount per per month would be worldly. All who spent less than that would be unworldly. But our task is even something far more simple and straightforward, namely to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In other words, the way to keep yourself unstained by the world is to remain, to abide continually in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, here's the key. When you are born By the Spirit of God, when you are truly born again, when you come to know the Lord, there is a conflict set up within you and the world. 
There is a conflict set up between you and the world and between the world and you. There's just something about it. When you come to Christ, when you enter that new relationship with God, there's something that, that all of a sudden you, you become estranged to the world. Paul said, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. I have, or I have become dead to the world and the world to me. Or I think another way to look at it is that you don't love the world and the world doesn't love you. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. There are two different kingdoms with two different values, morals, and motives. One is under the rule of Jesus Christ and the other is under the rule of Satan. Once you belong to Jesus Christ, there is no longer to be a cozy relationship with the world. I heard someone say that it it was not so hard for me to, uh, to understand that I was crucified to the world, but what was really hard was to learn that the world was crucified to me. It was not so hard for me to not love the world as it was to find out that the world didn't like me. But if you hold fast to God and His Word, the world won't want you. So why let let a culture that despises you, despises what you stand for, who despises your morality, who despises your God and your Christ, why cozy up to that culture? Why be friends with the world? Do you want to be a genuine person? Do you want to be a consistent person? Uh, Do you want to be a person whose life matches up with being your profession to be a child of God? Then let these words of James sink in into your heart this morning. Let let these words uh, root out any deception that you may have about yourself and about how you're really living. Let these words root out any deception that you may have about what it means to serve and worship and love God. And the only way the only way to do that, the only way to root out uh, deception in your own heart is to look at yourself up against these things, these three simple things that we've looked at this morning. Put yourself, your light, look at yourself up against these things that matter to God. And then to make the adjustments that you need. To keep a tight rein on your tongue. To show compassion to those in trouble. To keep yourself clean and holy from the corruption that is in the world. So this is a call to be genuine. It's a call to every one of us to lay aside self-deception, to lay aside hypocrisy. It's a call to be genuine. And it's part of being whole. You know, the theme, uh, I, I have a book at home on, on the book of James. The title is A Thirst for Wholeness. And the, the message of this commentary is basically that James is trying to move us toward completeness, toward perfection, 
toward wholeness. And you see, you'll see that the word used for that again and again throughout James. And one of the ways that James wants to make you whole, that he wants to make you perfect and complete, is to make you genuine. To get rid of the phoniness in your life. For you to live consistently. That you, that you walk your talk. That, that no one would look at you and say, man, that's a hypocritical person. They're a phony but people would look at, look at you and say, that person is genuine through and through. That person loves God and they show it by how they live and how they talk. That's what James is calling us to. He wants us to be whole, complete, and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the honesty of your word. Lord, for being so honest with us this morning. And so we... We ask this morning that we would live out these practical things that we've been instructed with this morning. Lord, we pray that you would root out inconsistency, any self-deception in our lives, Lord. We, we want to be genuine. We want to practice what James calls true religion. We want to practice those things that really matter to you, God. We don't, we don't want to just talk the talk. We don't want to put on some kind of show. Uh, Lord, we want to be genuine. Thank you. Thank you for your word, for the power of your word to root out deception and hypocrisy in our lives. And we, I, just, I pray this morning that you do a major work in all of our lives. Everyone here, including mine, from this time in your word this morning. God, thank you so much for the power, the cleansing power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.